Part 1, Section 3, 2200 Local Time. Gary rummaged through his back seat and pulled two shirts, tossing one to Brian. All right, man, I've got these Hawaiian shirts from the department luau we just had. We put them on under our kids so as to totally separate ourselves from these Antifa dipshits we see running around. There's no way we're going to get confused with them if we have these on, which means we won't get shot at by the cops or vigilantes without identifying us first. That's an odd flex, bro, but all right. Brian said while struggling with the Hawaiian shirt, which was a size too small. I am such a little bitch. This is totally going to chafe my stomach. Brian thought to himself while putting on the rest of his gear. The smell of shit-stained bridges lofted up to his nose, a repugnant reminder on his first experience in glorious combat. Brian checked his phone and saw missed calls from members of the club. Did you all see the news? This is crazy. Hey guys, is everyone okay? Let me know if you need anything. We are all going to die. Airport is closed. Protesters blocked off the roads and stormed the tarmac. Ryan looked up at Gary. Hey man, maybe we should have one of those guys come pick us up. It'll be a lot quicker than going through the city the way it is right now on foot. Gary nodded as he finished loading up his magazines. Yeah, that actually sounds pretty good. But don't have a muse here. We're exposed to this position and those punks will be back soon with more rioters. You know, it have the muse at the Sportsman's Warehouse on 82nd Avenue. It's a close walk and there's enough back roads where we won't be noticed. Brian then sent the following text message. Stranded, car shot up by Antifa. Need to ride the police station. Meet us at Sportsman's on 82nd. Brian. He received two replies. Roger. From John. Fuck yeah, dude. From Todd. Brian and Gary set off quietly through the Portland streets. Through the confusing noise and chaos, the two were able to slip through the area relatively unnoticed despite the loudness of their shirts and carrying rifles with full kits. With relative ease, the two friends were able to make it to their desired weight going to wait for their crew. After about 15 minutes of pulling security at an intersection of bushes in the parking lot, a loud rumbling could be heard getting closer and closer in the distance. It had the distinct sound of both immaturity, 35% APR, and little man syndrome, wailing its way irresponsibly at top speed towards their position. Oh, fuck me. Brian groaned as the neon green 2020 Mustang GT with red neon underlights came drifting into the parking lot, all while taking out several shopping carts and possibly a stray cat. The Mustang triple parked next to the bushes with a triumphant Todd emerging holding a scopeless Barrett 50 cal sniper rifle and a desert eagle strapped to his waist. What in the actual fuck, Todd? Brian yelled with fury in his voice and face. Where the hell is your truck to give us a ride? How the hell is your muscle car tactical? Er, practical? Why the fuck did you bring a sniper rifle and a pistol that you literally never trained with because you said the ammo was too expensive and the weapons are too heavy? Todd stood there with what could be considered a partially down syndrome look on his face and realized at that moment he had fucked up. Not far off, shouting could be heard along with sporadic gunfire. 
Todd dove into the bushes with Gary and Brian, his rifle muzzle clipping the curb and hitting himself in the groin as he got down. All right. Gary said with disdain. John should be here with the others in a bit to pick us up in his van, and then we will go. Unfortunately, your loud, retorted muscle cars let everyone know that someone's here, so now we're going to have to stand our ground and provide cover fire so the others don't drive into an ambush. Brian couldn't believe how bad his night was going. Not only was his current backup the biggest idiot to ever hold a rifle, but that this guy had also brought the wrong rifle without a scope and limited ammo. Just then, a crowd of at least 30 to 40 people armed with an assortment of guns, hand-to-hand -hand weapons, and Molotov cocktails arrived on scene. Gary turned to Brian and Todd as he whispered, All right, stay low, stay silent, and maybe they won't see it. Todd opened up with his scopeless rifle on the Antifa members, missing them by a mile and shattering several windows of stores across the street. Look over the air, there they are, was yelled from what appeared to be the group leader. This individual was not wearing a mask and looked like the local transgender college professor who taught feminist fundamentals for underwater basket weaving. She was tall, skinny, and had pink dreadlocks and a masculine chin and cheekbones. Here's the bomb, death to the fascists, for Karl Marx, for Bernie, for AOC. She yelled as the unorganized group started opening fire on the muscle car and bushes. Crossfire was much more intense than the last encounter, now with Molotov cocktails exploding left and right, as well as burning Todd's car to the ground. Bride was getting concerned, yet used most of his ammo at the range and he was down to his last man. Todd was now crying and he had blindly shot off his only rifle man and was now down to his last pistol magazine. Gary was shooting off his rifle like a bamf and making contact with multiple targets. However, these Antifa members were not getting up and had found sufficient cover behind some parked guards. At that moment, two Black Dell Jeep Wranglers busted through the fire, putting themselves between the two parties. Quick, you guys! Get in! Jimmy yelled while John provided cover fire with his built-fed 249 from the passenger side window. Gary and Brian jumped into Jimmy's car while Todd hysterically pulled into Calvin's, leaving his weapons behind in the bushes. Both cars peeled up, leaving behind an infuriated Antifa mob with several casualties in their midst. 